A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with Scott Bober, who is the Senior VP of Global Sales at CJ Biomaterials, a startup within the Korean conglomerate CJ Child Jajang. Scott is leveraging his experience gained at a variety of materials and specialty chemical companies, including Lindy, Honeywell, Mauser, and RKW. And Scott is helping to build a sales organization to commercialize sustainable solutions for flexible and rigid packaging, fiber coatings, 3D printing, and more. I know we're going to have a great conversation. So Scott, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thanks, Victoria. Very happy to be here today. What is your origin story? How did you get interested in material science and chemicals? And then what ultimately led you to CJ Biomaterials? Sure. I give most of the credit to becoming a chemical engineer to my older brother, Eric. I followed him into University of Pennsylvania chemi program. He's still in the chemical industry as well. So it's fascinating. We've crossed paths. We've shared contacts. And that got me into the chemical industry. Well, it actually got me into chemical engineering. I started my career in the food industry as a process engineer. Fascinating how similar unit operations are in a food company versus in a chemical plant. It wasn't until after getting my MBA that I actually joined Allied Chemical in their nylon business. And that was my my real start from an industry standpoint into chemicals. What's kept me there, though, is is I love um, materials. I love chemicals. Um, and I'm a problem solver at heart. And what I like about the industry is that it's ubiquitous. Um, it's, it's everywhere. And being able to sell into Every industry on earth um, is fascinating because every day you're solving a different customer's unique problem. So I'm using my problem solving skills to do that. Um, So after years in specialty chemicals, um, packaging, plastics, um, I got a call from my network from a former colleague, Heidi LaBelle who I worked with at Honeywell and said, hey, I just joined as head of marketing in this startup company, um, you know, together here. I'm like, nope, never heard of it, did some research. And I started to reflect on all my years in fossil-based plastics companies, helping to create some fascinating solutions, um, you know, flexible packaging, some really unique properties that you could bring to protect food, protect healthcare items, um, but solutions clearly needed on what do we do with all of this packaging once we once we're done using it. Um, so the thought of joining a biomaterials company was was really interesting in the right time for me. That's cool. So tell us a little bit more about CJ because as you say, it's a it's a startup um, business. But 
probably people don't know much about it. Sure. So CJ is a 30 billion plus um, a Korean conglomerate, as you mentioned. We're in everything from the food business. We own Schwann's, which is Frechetta Pizza, Red Baron, Tony's Pizza, Mrs. Smith's Apple Pies, Bibigo Dumplings. Uh, we have an entertainment division that has produced Parasite and Succession. Uh, we have a logistics and a retail business. And then we have this $5 billion bio business. And that bio business essentially starts with sugar, goes through a fermentation process, and produces animal and human proteins um, and sells those into either food companies or to farmers. Um, and that division had an interest in improving the health and well-being of humans and animals using biotechnology. In 2016, they acquired a former startup from MIT called Metabolics. Metabolics had worked on developing a chemical called PHA, polyhydroxyalkanoate, which is a, in the polyester family. It's kind of similar to PLA. Um, and CJ took that technology and put up, did, did a lot of R&D work on strain development and purification. And in 2022, started up a PHA production plant in Indonesia at one of our existing animal protein plants. So we're we're pretty new to we're pretty new to the game. It's a new business for uh, for CJ, um, but so far it's been uh, it's been an incredible opportunity. That's cool. So the CJ Biomaterials, the business that you're part of, is taking this PHA to market. Exactly. So right now we have an what we call amorphous PHA, which is very rubbery, um, and we're using that in formulations. Everything from compounding, um, 3D printing, injection molding, thermoforming, um, rigid, flexible packaging, mostly in combination with other polymers, mostly other biopolymers. So PLA, for instance, which has been around for probably about 25 years, we work with NatureWorks, who's one of the large PLA producers. And in collaboration, we develop unique solutions using our FACT brand PHA and their NGO PLA, and then provide that to customers in, in various industries. And the properties of PHA and PLA are complementary. So our amorphous PHA is very rubbery. Uh, PLA can be brittle in certain applications. When you compound them together, you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's cool. So is, is part of the intent for CJ to be kind of back integrated, right? So obviously, when you mention the, the, all the brands that they, that they own and that they're part of, there's a lot of packaging that goes into those yeah. consumer products right. is the intent that ultimately there's some backward integration across the business with, from a packaging perspective as well. So it's funny, I call it forward integration for me, right? But um, I, I, I don't think necessarily by intent, uh, but certainly we're working with several of our cosmetics brands, food brands on helping them achieve their ESG sustainability targets using our polymer as well as our knowledge of, of biopolymers. Um, so it's working out great collaboration. We're getting a chance to learn a lot quicker than we, than we are with some third-party customers. Um, so certainly the integration into the fermentation process was, was on purpose. 
And that gave us a jump start into the technology. That's cool. That's very cool. So, so you're obviously now trying to go to market commercializing new products. What are the biggest challenges that you find? And then how do you overcome those challenges? Sure. So a product like ours, it's, it's relatively new to market. There's a couple of other people who are producing similar PHA products. The amorphous blend that we have right now, it's, it's very unique. So to me, in, in any specialty material business, um, it's understanding the, seg- the market segments and understanding the, the specific needs and the next best alternative of what the customer is going to compare it to. So the exciting part is that it could be unique. There could be a, a market segment of one. The frustrating part is it's a lot different than consumer marketing, where you know you hope to find a million customers who look just like you know this this persona. Um, so it's really understanding um, what are the right segments that you have a strong value proposition. And is that attractive enough to go after? If not, then either you need to iterate on your offering or you need to find other segments. So I think initially um, that's a challenge in any specialty industrial marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you guys are engaging in some partnerships, um, whether they're formally called partnerships or whether they're loosely defined. Is Can you talk more about that and how those play in? Sure, I'd love to. And you know, so what we've realized is that the value chain is very complex um, and um, and you need to be at multiple steps in the value chain. So um, so we're talking to brands, we're talking to retailers, we're talking to compounders, we're talking to converters, and getting that VOC, getting that voice of customer for multiple um, avenues is really important. And you know, Essentially, a lot of our applications um, are driven by either regulation or um, by company policy or or ESG targets. So understanding from the brand and working back into the value chain is incredibly important. Um, so we're working with Acor Hotels on developing amenity packs um, for their customers. We're working with um, our own brands, as as I mentioned. With we're working with Schwann's on some of their packaging requirements. We're working with Olive Young, which is a um, a Korean cosmetics um, brand. Um, we're working with, as I mentioned, NatureWorks. We're also working with Atochu, who's a large Japanese trading company, on helping us get access to the Japanese and, and other markets. So finding those right channel partners is is one of the ways to um, to accelerate that process of getting the feedback and eventually commercializing. Yeah, and it sounds like... Um you've gotten to that point pretty quickly from a, on a relative basis for new product development, getting to a place where you can identify some of those specific partners at different points in the value chain often takes a lot of time just to even get the attention from them. So it seems like you guys have been able to accelerate that process. So, so we had some help. Um, I mentioned that CJ acquired a company called metabolics, um, and so several of our um, members on our team are from Metabolics. So they actually started commercializing uh, a similar product 
about 10 years ago. So we had a head start. Um, and our the resources of the larger CJ company have certainly helped open up those doors. We're doing um, we're doing a lot of that work in Korea, where we have where I think the seventh largest conglomerate in Korea. So so the CJ name in Korea means something that helps, and we have some of those brands. Um, and we we also have a lot of curiosity in in the industry because there's a lot of brands that realize that they're going to have to do something different. Um, recycling may work for some applications and it's not going to work for others. So, so our product is both plant-based, right? So it's not using fossil fuels and it's also very biodegradable. So bioplastics meet one or both of those criteria and we actually meet both of those. Um, so for, uh, so for brands that want to achieve industrial compostability or home compostability or marine compostability, depending on what you blend our product with, we can help customers achieve those targets. And there's not a lot of polymers that can, particularly ones that are that are also plant-based. So we have the attention of the technology teams of many major brands around the world. And that is really, I think, what's accelerating our, our ability to, to get voice. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I think um, there is always that tension, right, between how fast can you move um, and how much are they willing to pay for? Um, because I think that's one of the big dilemmas right now as yeah. you think about yeah. circularity and bioplastics and renewable materials. I mean, they just have a higher cost base, certainly for now. How are you guys tackling that? Are you seeing that as an issue yet? Or is it still kind of a to be determined as it as it commercializes? Yeah, we're absolutely facing that already. Um and I mean, you're right. At the end of the day, um, does the consumer want something that's sustainable? Sure. Do they want to pay more for it? There are some. There are some consumers, right? Um, and and how do you reach them? The lack of infrastructure um, on end of life for composting is also a challenge at the end of the life of these products. And more and more brands, as well as uh, plastics producers need to be concerned about the end of life. So I think I think members in our value chain, our customers, they're acutely aware of the challenges that we face, particularly at the scale that we're out now. Um, we try to do the best we can to use our technology. We have a, an incredible applications technology team that works with the customers to try to find ways to offset some of the, the price per kg. Um, so in the compounding process or in utilization of um, regenerate internal to a process. So we're able to help customers mitigate some of that cost. But at the end of the day, if you want to replace polyethylene or polypropylene, which are produced in, as, as you know, in billion pound scales using very cheap natural gas, you know, you're not, you're not going to get there. Um, so there is certainly a cost of, but there's also a cost end of life to society if you don't solve the problem. And that's where government regulators need to come in and, and they are coming in and and help help us get help the industry get there quicker than we would on our own. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, as a consumer, 
it's very difficult to navigate, right? Because even despite my best intent to properly recycle and handle end of life, you know, it, as you say, the infrastructure is not robust enough in many cases. Um, and then and the consumers out aren't what, educated. And, yeah. Well, that's exactly it. Figuring out what you can and cannot recycle or, you know, how to treat certain things. It is, it is difficult. I mean, I think consumer um, labeling is getting better from some companies at least, but it's, we've got a long way to go. So yeah, next next week I'm going to the 3M Open, which is a golf outing, um, a golf tournament that 3M sponsors, and I'm going to be I'm invited as a guest of NatureWorks um, in their suite, and they're the sustainable partner for the 3M Open, um, and I'm very curious to see how this works in practice because they're going to have garbage cans, recycling cans, and composting cans. And my expectation is that, um, you know, I'm going to naturally observe people doing the right thing, doing the wrong thing, because even if a consumer wants to do the right thing, how, how many seconds are you going to try to figure out which bin does this go in? Um, and if you take something that's meant to be composted and you put it in the recycling bin, you could actually spoil the recycling. Um, so there's a lot, a lot. I mean, we're even not there as as Americans in understanding recycling, right? People don't know. I walk down my street and and I say to my wife, yeah, that person's trying to recycle something the wrong way or recycle something that's not recyclable. And that's where we are, you know, 30, 40 years into recycling. Composting is, is going to be challenging as well. But a lot of towns, um, are are biting into composting. Boston, New York City, they're collecting food scraps. Um, and now we have to convince them that collecting food service ware that can be composted as well should be in that same bin. So that's so that's a challenge that we're working with uh, with regulators as well as industry partners uh, to try to understand better. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We could spend all day talking about that because um it's baffling. Uh, it's it's baffling yeah. in, in a needed a needed process. So anyway, um, we're going to move forward, though. So, you know, you've obviously worked with a lot of very large, well-established companies, and you've now moved into a startup. And as it turns out, what I didn't realize before we started this conversation is that it's a startup inside of a very yeah. large, well-established company. But there's definitely a shift and we don't, we, I think we all recognize that. What's maybe been the biggest surprise as you are working and leading in a startup business, what's the surprise versus where you've been in the past with some larger businesses and larger companies? Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is you don't know what you don't know because you, you haven't been there yet. Um, so the discovery process is, is every day we're learning something new and, um, and we have to filter it into, do we make a decision on this or do we you know, put it into the do this tomorrow pile? So, so you're constantly surprised by what your, what your new challenge is. What I'd say also is that um, we don't have we we have an opportunity to establish processes internal processes that work for our business for the scale that we're at for the nature of our business for our maturity um so sometimes we do get the opportunity to borrow from our 
our larger division, but sometimes it's best to actually create our own process. Um, So although um, the focus needs to be external with with customers out out in the market, um, to help our team be successful, we need processes. So deciding which ones um, we want to build from scratch, which ones we want to beg, borrow, or steal, or which ones that I could bring from my knowledge of other companies that I've worked with. Um, I think that's more of a, of a challenge um, than I expected it to be. Yeah. Well, and what I think is interesting, um, obviously, CJ has acquired a business already that was on the development, was on the um the innovation and development and commercialization path. Um, and yet, you know, because because what I see is it's really hard for big companies to actually have the capacity to nurture new innovations. And so that's where I think across the industry, we see so many partnerships happening, whether it be in surfactants or whether it be in bioplastics and materials and other places is because inherently it's very difficult to have a sufficient bandwidth it doesn't meet this, you know, n- new innovations typically don't meet the scale to actually move the needle. And so therefore it's easy to kill them off. Um, and so figuring out how to actually sustain and nurture and protect a new business that's relatively tiny compared to the rest of the businesses um, is a big challenge. Yeah, it is. And, and and part of my job is to make sure that our corporate management team gets fed uh, the right information and is looking at the right metrics. Um, so when you're a startup, you don't have sales until you do. You have a pipeline. And our pipeline, um, most of our opportunities have a natural sales cycle of one year two years, three years, right? So large brands aren't going to drop their polypropylene or polyethylene packaging and put in a brand new polymer just just overnight, especially if it's more expensive. They might have to tweak their machines a little bit. So the sales cycle is going to be long. Uh, so having that patience to see through. Um, and for me as the sales leader, um, communicating milestones in my pipeline is a way for me to bridge the information that senior management wants to hear with what's happening in, inside the business on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's a great perspective. How soon will we start seeing some of these products in consumer markets, I guess? Sure, they're starting to they're starting to float in now. Um, so we have... Um, we have cosmetics containers uh, that have our product in it. Uh, we just launched um, straws. Um, so go from plastic straws um, made out of polyprope to paper straws, um, which have some advantages, but nobody likes to drink through a paper straw. Um, Not at all. To, <laughs> to PLA straws. Um, but PLA straws can be brittle. Uh, they can they can crack. Adding P, a little bit of PHA to the straws um, blends in some of those properties I mentioned before. So we just launched uh, with a couple of brands uh, straws. Um, right now, those are in Korea. We're we're bringing those to the U.S. Um, so we're starting to get there, uh, one application at a time. We're also going to be launching 
um, a new product within the next few months. So right now, our product is called Amorphous PHA, um, and we have a semi-crystalline grade, which is in the same family, and we're launching that in a few months, which is going to give us access uh, to a whole new slate of, of applications. Yeah, that's really interesting. So we're, so we're going to start seeing it in the market. And, Absolutely. and certainly uh, yeah. your Korean customers are starting to see that. Yeah. And, and we got a head start there because that's, we have a very large R&D team in Korea. We have a small one in the U.S. And we have the brand, um, the brand recognition in Korea. So much easier to open up those doors. And we started um, earlier. Um, and a part of my job is translating those successes globally, um, where we have salespeople in China, in Europe, in the U.S., uh, as well as in Korea. Interesting. So, um, I mean, we've touched on this a little bit, but, you know, maybe it's worth hitting up again, this whole aspect, aspect of product sustainability. And obviously we're seeing a lot of pressures um, along the way with that. How deep are you guys getting into customer and even just consumer value as it relates to that? Because at the end of the day, um, you know, it's not a field of dreams. If you build it, they will not come. Um, you actually right. have to have yeah. a demand draw or demand creation, right? Which is mm -hmm. possible, but challenging. How are you guys tackling that? Multiple angles. So we have a, um, a government affairs um, team that's talking to regulators in California, in the US, in Korea, we're working with our channel partners. We're working with our, our internal food brands who have great access to customers. Um, and we're, we're going to a lot of trade shows um, that have multiple value chain partners. Um, so we'll be at SPC, Sustainable uh, Products, Sustainable Packaging Coalition in Boston in September. Uh, a lot of brands will be there. Uh, retailers will be will be there and we're talking to a lot of people. So probably less to consumers directly and more through the brands. And we're trying to understand what each brand has a different ESG target and they have a different um, consumer audience that they're trying to hit. So, you know, one of our customers in Korea um, is selling a vegan cosmetics product and they wanted their package to match the image um, that their that their cosmetics was, um, and they realized that a fossil-based uh, package wasn't in line, and they wanted to have a bio-based package, and we helped them achieve that and launch that. So we're getting that's how we're getting that voice um, indirectly uh, through uh, through the brand in this case. Yeah. So I know we're in the process. We on a global basis are in the process of negotiating at the UN plastics treaty. And um, I recently spoke with uh, Chet Thompson from AFPM, who is at the negotiations about kind of where yeah. it's heading, what the timeline is. How does it affect your products? Are you guys the beneficiaries of the plastics treaty? Are you, are your products directly engaged in there? How does that fit for you from a, just a regulatory perspective? Yeah. So I listened to that podcast. It was I, I learned a lot. It was a, it was a great podcast. Um, you know, I'd say I'd say it depends. I'd say the industry needs clarity, um, and and that's something that's certainly lacking. Um, even if it's just regional, uh, we need clarity. And where Europe seems to be headed, where the U.S. seems to be headed, are a little bit different. Uh, it'll be very challenging to get global clarity. Um, but 
We also want regulators um, and industry to be better educated than they are now. And there's a lot of confusion over over composting, over recycling. Um, so we could be the beneficiaries if if investments are made in composting infrastructure, um, if education is put there. Uh, but there's also some potential regulations that could hurt us if um, if it bans bioplastics, for instance, because there's a lot of fear of what is a what is a bioplastic and does it have a place. Um, in this stream. Yeah, interesting. And in categorization is critical, right? And having the right um, definitions, which of course, industry groups have been working on that forever. Um, as as new products get introduced and as new regulations getting introduced, ensuring that there's a appropriate definitions and categorizations and then obviously regulations specifically around it. So I guess we will be all be watching to see what what it happens. Yes. So I know CJ is a, a Korean company. You've already referenced that there's been, you guys are developing uh, a little bit quicker just on the basis of, of current position in Korea. Is there the same interest in sustainability and bio-based materials um, in Korea? Is it, do you feel like it's, that it's moving yeah, quicker absolutely. than North America <laughs> or on par or how does that, what's your assessment of that? So it's a smaller environment. I think it's a, lot, a little bit easier for them to um, uh, set a direction and, and control the direction. Um, so, yeah, I think it's moving uh, faster in Korea. We're seeing it even in um, the PVC industry, for instance, where we could potentially be used as, as an additive, even though that's a different, different play. It's not the same environmental play. Um, but you know where regulation um, brings uh, brings people in the industry, uh, so we have we have people that are trying to understand uh, the legislation in Korea, um, and but but Korea is kind of isolated because I don't know that um, any other country is necessarily going to follow Korea's policies, where um, Europe will act all as all as one, and there's some countries that will follow Europe. The U.S. may act as as one, may act as as fifty or something in between, but there's other countries that will follow what the U.S. does. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, so Scott, what's next for you? What's next for you and CJ Biomaterials? What should we be looking for as we close out 2023 and move into 24? Yeah. So. Uh, Fascinating opportunity that's going to keep accelerating for me personally and for the business. I came here to help build a, a world-class global sales organization. I've just started that. Um, I'm committed to um, to continuing that. And in doing that, um, my team's going to be successful commercializing these applications with lots of customers in lots of different markets. Um, so it is going to be um, PHA all over the place. Sometimes you'll know it. Sometimes you won't. Our brand name is Fact. Right now, it's a small brand name, but we're going to build on that. Um, as I said, we're going to launch a semi-crystalline grade. We have a couple of other um, product formulations in our R&D kit as well that we're working on launching. We hope to, right? So right now, we have one small plant in Indonesia. Um, we hope to build a world-scale plant, most likely in the U.S., 
within the next couple of years. That's going to be a big investment. So we're trying to get to that um, comfort level that it's the that it's the right time, and also to fine tune exactly what the product looks like, what the production process looks like. But stay tuned for news, hopefully within the the next year or two on that. Awesome. Well, that'll be great. Scott, thank you for joining us. This has been super interesting. I've loved learning more about the business and you, and I appreciate you joining the Chemical Show. Thanks, Victoria. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. Keep listening, following, sharing, and we will talk to you again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.